back in the day, you had to go get a bank loan and then end up with a garage full of shame of board games. Like, yeah. now, it, you know, Kickstarter tells you what the zeitgeist is interested in right now, gives you the capital to make it. Just go make it. Hello, and welcome to the Clockwork Game Design Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Bergun. Today on the show, uh, I'm excited to bring you Tim Fowers. He is uh, the game designer behind a bunch of really cool board games. He also used to work in video games. Um, he uh, has had numerous really successful Kickstarters, uh, games like Burgle Bros, Paperback, Fugitive, Walkstar. Um, he's a very prolific, very cool guy. Um, we've hung out a few times at various conventions. In this conversation, we talk about cons. We talk about, you know, places that, that you can maybe think about going uh, to meet people and uh, get uh, feedback on your board games. We talked a lot about, like, um, how do you, how do you actually make a board game? Like, the, we, we got into the philosophical and we got into the nitty-gritty hands-on stuff. I'm really happy with how this conversation went because we kind of covered a really wide base of... Um, of uh, different kinds of topics uh, that all relate to game design. So yeah, this is kind of like an ideal model episode in my opinion. And so thanks so much to Tim. Uh, you can check out his games. They're up on BoardGameGeek. Uh, he's got a website. Uh, he's Tfowers at uh, Twitter. And uh, there will be links in the show notes. Before I finish here, I just want to mention that I have two really exciting uh, podcast interviews scheduled that should be coming out in the next week or two. It's kind of a podcast episode bomb that you're getting. Next one is with Eric Zimmerman, who is a game designer uh, behind a lot of really interesting, cool games and also a teacher at NYU um, and just an all-around cool guy, author of game design books um, such as Rules of Play. Um, and then the week after that, we have Jeff Engelstein, Jeff Engelstein from the Ludology podcast, which I've been on and who board game designers are well aware of, and also um, Isaac Shalev. And together they wrote, uh, uh, they're writing a new book that's coming out pretty soon that looks actually really awesome uh, about board game design. And so I'm really excited to talk to them. So those are the both things that are coming up. Other than that, stay tuned to my blog, my Twitter. I'm at Keith Bergun. Feel free to email me or message me there. And of course, you can support the show on Patreon. All right. Thank you so much. Enjoy the conversation with Tim Fowers. Um, well, thank you for coming on the show. Um, it's been a while since we've uh, talked and hung out. Um, yeah. I haven't been coming to, I, I, I need to, this year I'm going to be going to a few more cons, so maybe I'll see you at something. Um, you doing uh, GDC? You've been doing that? I have not been doing GDC the last two years, um, but uh, this year I am doing uh, PAX Unplugged, and yes. I think you told me to do that, actually. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's, uh, it's really, really grown. Um, year over year, it doubled, at mm -hmm. least on the kind of exhibition space. Um, sales were very good. Um, and I think it's on target to become number two, if it isn't already, maybe even number one in a couple of years over Gen Con for tabletop specific, because right. really, you know, Gen Con, you're competing against other, other factors. You've got RPGs, you've got CCGs, you kind of got these, you know, you know, Ren fair type stuff, mm -hmm. but you know, you at, at tabletop, it is, it is, it is a really good focus and they were able to get, they kind of just picked it just right. Um, and, you know, and there's, I mean, tabletops kind of struggled at PAX East and PAX West. So there, there's definitely some pent up um, need for, a, for another strong tabletop convention. So, yes, absolutely. 
Cool. All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad I'll see you there. Um, and uh, I'm also going to do IndieCade later this year. Um, I don't know if you've ever yeah. been to that one. Yeah, I've been. Uh, I mean, it was local for me when I lived in Orange County, and it's fun. It's not. It's not. It's not really that big. Um, and they do. They do find some fun. You know, uh, games to uh, you know whatever the prize is there. But they 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 pick some good games. Yeah, no, I tend to like the smaller events. Um, for years, I went to practice. Uh, I don't think they're they're not doing practice this year, um, but um, uh, I, I tend to like the ones that are like a hundred to two hundred people, just like small little uh, collections. It's hard to find those. I feel like. And- well, funny you mention that. Um, so we put together a tabletop network. Um, basically, we're you know it's because what happens in the tabletop space is people get together and they're just like. Hey, let's play test because you know you're a person, and I need to test my game. Mm-hmm. And and so you get proto spiel, you get unpubs, and they're all very play test centric. Um, but that kind of gets, uh, you know, that kind of um, over overrides any kind of, you know, kind of institutional knowledge. The stuff that you get at at a GDC, you know, like mm-hmm. like seminars and, and 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 whatnot. So we started this last year. Um, and we did a Kickstarter and then we ran it last June and it went well. We had about a hundred people. Um, we did talks, we did some round tables, did some workshops, um, and it went off really well, but the location was at 9,000 feet. So there's a few people that got actually hit with, with elevation sickness. Wait, hold on. Um, uh, so wait, you said we started this last year. What is this in this? Tabletop network. Oh, okay, this, cool. This, this, this convention. Gotcha. So, I, so me, me, and Jeff Kraus and Jeff Beck, the the two guys that I collaborate with, we put together a convention. Um, oh, okay, cool. With it, uh, we launched it on Kickstarter. Um, got some great speakers, and it went really well. It's it's small. Um, had a great vibe, um, great location, but it was just kind of a little the, the elevation kind of caught us off guard. Right. So this year, I don't know if you know BGGCon. I've um, heard of it. Yeah, so Board Game Geek has their convention. We've actually combined with them for this year. Um, and so right before BGGCon, we're going to have Tabletop Network um, uh-huh. you know, for the two days. It's same hotel, same everything, because a lot of people, a lot of designers really like to go to BGGCon. Um, mm-hmm. And so they've actually helped us secure like Alan Moon, and we've got Matt Leacock, and we've got just nice. some fantastic speakers. And we're not running a Kickstarter, but we are going to be doing a live stream next week with uh, on BGG to you know kind of promote it, um, and uh, and so that's the thing. So we're basically trying to you know basically I spent a lot of time in making indie video games, and I've really just been moving over some best practices from that industry over into tabletop, both mm-hmm. in how I run my business and what kind of games I make, but I'll, but even even like GDC, I find GDC really valuable. Um, and, and it was just ho- kind of this hole in the tabletop space, um, for something that's a little more, uh, you know, I don't want to say academic, but, but definitely more formal, right. um, when it came to, you know, just learning. So, yeah, that's cool. That actually transitions pretty well into, um, kind of like the first thing I want to talk about. I definitely want to talk about your Kickstarters and your whole, um, kind of like Kickstarter career that you have, uh, going at this point. And, um, but I, but I want to start off by talking a little bit about your background and, and you mentioned sure. that you're coming from indie video games, right? Um, yeah. and, and then, but now at this point you're, you're basically like a board game guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. It pays the bills. Yeah. Um, 
so it's yeah it's it's weird i've always seen myself in both spaces because i kind of fall in love with both at the same time mm-hmm. both i discovered kind of it, you know the indie video game scene like 2005 ish um and also but i thought the only you know so so i thought the only outlet was to make video games but i also had discovered sellers of Catan and power grid and and kind of so for me they've always been two sides of the same coin so mm-hmm. i've kind of gone both paths just because i but but at any given point only one is is kind of been my my primary uh focus or my my one the one one the pace the bills sure so uh i started 2005 started making games i was in medical imaging um i'm a bad programmer um and we just did the you know we don't know what we're doing let's jump off this cliff and and make uh, make video games. We did, you know, our, our overlong project, we did kind of a, a table, uh, we did a platform where we tied Skype and flash together, um, to make a multiplayer platform. We got it working, but you know, in the end kind of ran into some tech, some tech limits of those, uh, flash. Um, but we, you know, we were going to make this platform that you could do digital tabletop on, um, and you could do multiplayer flash games. Um, and it was just way over ambitious for, right. for what we knew and, and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, we didn't quit there. We doubled down and jumped off the cliff and like, let's, let's go full-time indie making video games. So we took, uh, we took one of the games from that platform and made it a single player game called now boarding. Um, and just, you know, just by the skin of our teeth, like, you know, this is like, you know, we came down to like, okay. We're gonna have to shut off the water or the power <laughs> this month. Yeah, um, and and we kind of just got over the line, um, and 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 we launched it, and it actually stabilized us, and we lived um, mostly on the proceeds of that for a good part of three years. Me and me and a business partner, we both had our families. Um, we were out in Kentucky because we decided that was a cheap place to live. Yeah, um, just craziness, right? I mean, really didn't have a runway. I, I mean, it, it's absolutely foolish in in retrospect, but it's one of those things. It's like you know, through, through that kind of sacrifice and craziness, you know, I got, I got decent, you know, I got, I got some good skills at design. Sure. Um, and, and along that path, you know, sometimes, you know, my buddy, buddy was the primary coder. And so I had extra bandwidth. I mean, I was producing and, you know, doing sound and doing art as much as I could. Um, but, uh, I started doing some board game design on the side um, and we came up with uh, with uh, Walkstar, which is our you know first kind of board game project. Um, and we took it to Protospiel. And so that while that was cooking, you know, we also came up with uh, Clockwords, um, which was uh, an, you know a mild hit um, for us. And then that kind of started to wind down, and we started to look at like, okay, well, where do we go from here? And so I ended up in, in back in the industry, or I guess in the industry for the first time. Um, at React React Studios for a short period stint, and then eventually at, at Amazon Game Studios, where I did three and a half years as a designer, um, and it was fun. Um, I was with some really talented guys, and we were doing some really cool stuff for Amazon. But eventually, Amazon just wanted to make, you know, kind of bro core. You know, they're like, "Where's our Halo?" kind of stuff. And so, right. you know, most of the the original studio reflexive. Um, have, have all moved away because um, they were good at casual. They're good at casual games. Gotcha. Um, so we all kind of moved on, and um, but it was also my time at Amazon. You know, I was I'm you know prolific. Like I, I I have a lot of ideas, and and so I would 
I would do prototypes in Flash on the weekend and, and I'd bring them in, you know, and they would just kind of, you know, pat me on the head and say, you know, you keep, you keep <laughs> being, you know, creative. And, sure, yeah. and I'm just like, and after a while it was just clear. And, and I learned too, it's, you know, it's a studio. It can't go in every direction, but yeah. coming from indie, I was just like, you know, but I've always kind of been plagued by that where it's just like, you know, either whether it's a teacher or a boss, it's just like, you know, I come in with something I feel is a new direction and has value. Um, and they just bounce off of it. And, and I've, you know, and so eventually I had enough of a backlog of, of digital and, and, and also board games weren't against my non-compete. So I just started really focusing on board games and that's when paperback came along. That's when Burgle Bros came along. Um, and I'd even bring them. There was like a, a, a brainstorm time they had at work. And I started hijacking that as let's test Tim's board games time. And, ah. was, and all my coworkers were super supportive and, and gave me great feedback and whatnot. Um, and so I just did more and more board games because I, it, it was clear that the video game ideas weren't going to, weren't going to work. And I was helping with design on the games, you know, that they wanted. So right. it's not like I wasn't designing. It's just, you know, I had other ideas. Um, sure. and so eventually that, that, that shifted. And then, and then Burgle Bros really, you know, paperback kind of was a slow burn and, but it continues to be a hit. Um, and, uh, Burgle Bros, uh, was, was a hit right out of the gates that was um, that your first big like breakout Kickstarter? Yeah, I mean the first one. I mean paperback. You know, I did a print run. Uh, the first print run as part of the Kickstarter was like a, a thousand backers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean Burgle was was like four thousand backers or something crazy. Yeah. So yeah, it was a big jump. Um, and and by that point, it was clear that this might be a thing. So uh, I, I you know over over the next you know, period, I, I, I wound down and I ended up moving to Utah where I have a lot of family and the cost of living is lower so that I could go full-time with board games sooner. So 2015, I went full-time on board games. And since then I've done, you know, fugitive hardback now boarding are, are kind of the primary ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but at the same time, um, I've, I've kind of now kind of have two guys that I collaborate with Jeff Beck who is uproarious games. He has his own company um, and he's done um, word domination and uh, getaway driver. And then he, he's the primary designer on hardback. We collaborated for that one. Gotcha. Um, and so he works in the same office as us and we kind of help each other. And then Jeff Kraus is a self-taught programmer um, who did the, the app translations of hardback and, and Burgle bros. Um, but also has gotten really good skills at board games recently and so he's kind of like co-designed. He co-de- co-designed Sabotage um, and the upcoming Burgle Bros. Two, um, and then we and so me and him are pretty actively collaborating on digital and physical. Um, last month we launched um, Pegleg, um, which is like Peggle meets Plants vs. Zombies on on crowdfunding, and it just didn't really get traction. Like yeah, I actually our- I wanted to talk to you about that because uh, you know I'm somebody who has tried to run a few video game kickstarters and they've all like all but one have like yeah. failed you know and uh it seems yeah. like uh, video game kickstarters always seem to get three thousand dollars i don't know what that is that's like the magic number yeah. there's like three thousand dollars in the world that are ready to move towards <laughs> a video game kickstarter it seems like I, I mean i have some theories about that okay. um i mean besides the fact that the, the board game community is very much looking for new like they they very right. much value innovation um and and they're also very centralized like everyone's on bgg um 
And, and so, uh, and it's also the nature of the transaction. Like you're making a physical thing that they're going to get and they can see the value in that. Yeah. Um, the, the, the people's perception of value in video games is very skewed when you have freemium, like they don't get the costs involved because they think, you know, and they also, you know, they're like, well, it's free to make more copies of it. Yeah. And, you know, they just don't understand that the tech labor is so expensive. Right. Um, make these things, and and we're not helping educate them that the freemium model is not helping educate them. That. So right. there are factors. But either way, you know, we came up with this game, and we're just like, let's give it a shot. And same same story. Like just you know, we got we got a little bit, and and given I've got a, a good number of followers and whatnot, and it's just like oh. You know, and also, you know, I, I overestimated how much nostalgia people had for Pegleg, uh, or for, for Peggle. Um, but I don't know. I mean, we're, we're probably going to release it um, because, the, because we've canceled plenty of projects, but this was the one that everyone who plays it really enjoys it. Like, our, right. our, you know, our user testing was really strong. And so we're just kind of like, okay, well, let's put it out there, uh, you know, maybe a couple bucks on Steam and, and a mobile version that's free. And then if it builds an audience, because basically we did it as a vertical slice. We only did three acts in the game. It's mm-hmm. like a good half hour uh, or so of, of gameplay. Sure. So before we invested more money, more time in it, we're like, we, we already were kind of hedging our bets. So we put three months into it, you know, launched it. And, and so now we're going to kind of put it out in the wild. And if it finds a home, great. Um, we can go ahead and make more content for it. So, um, you know, that's kind of how that went. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that's it's a it's a really interesting thing, the whole Kickstarter thing. And uh, I've been thinking more that, you know, I, I kind of go back and forth. I'm, I'm with you in that I, I do video games and board games, but um, I've always thought of video games as being like the place where I would sort of build a career. And uh, and it seems like especially for someone who's interested in like system design and innovation yeah. and systems design, it does seem like like what you're saying that like bo- the board game world is a little bit more thirsty for that um in yes. some ways yes. um yes. yeah so i i also wanted to ask you about um uh like your your process for board game design like so so i don't know if you're working on something now that's like new or in the early stages but like yeah, sure. um you know how, take us through like now what is your process if you're going to start a game tomorrow what would the process what would the steps be like what would you imagine well would i mean it's it's also about managing your, your creativity i mean so what you know what it comes down to is um you know because i've been at this a good 10 years plus maybe I guess 12 years um you know, you know, trying to be creative with a gun to your head is is kind of a, not a good recipe. Right. Um, so you kind of have to be in a state where, you know, you're working on stuff. And and sometimes I will actively brainstorm things. But I'm, I've gotten more cautious about kind of turning on that faucet because it's very easy to fall in love with the new thing and not finish the old thing. Yeah. Um, and so I try to just be in a position where I can take low hanging fruit as it appears. So. So like, so I'll take you through, through a timeline, right? Sure. Of, of, and I don't know where we're, where we're going to go with this game, but so we, um, we had a, a canceled project from last year. We were working on Tooth and Tail, the board game, um, is kind of an RTS, you know, simulator, um, and we had worked out a pretty good combat system for it using non-transitive dice, which are fun, um, you know, but very, you know, output randomy kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this whole explosion happened with auto chess, 
you know, sure. like everyone, you know, all these different companies were jumping on it. And we're like, what? You know, and so we researched it. And, and my friend, you know, uh, uh, Jeff, Jeff Krause had played it. Um, and, and, and so we're like, hey, what if we took this old combat system with non-transitive dice and put it in the auto chess structure? And it was just kind of like a lark. You know, we're mm-hmm. like... And and we were kind of brainstorming that point because, you know, it's like, well, what do we want to do next? Um, I mean, let's hold on peg leg until we know more, you know, or if we get, get an audience or something. So we were kind of looking. Um, but uh, so, yes, yeah, so we, 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 you know, we, we kind of immediately go into, okay, let's flesh this out a little bit. But this is just over like a day or so. And it's like, right. okay, let's flesh this out. We already kind of had, you know, these old parts that we had developed, you know, and we're like, okay, how are these going to fit? But within a day or two, we had some some basic art because we just went to Illustrator, made some cards. We got a process, you know, sleeve them, and let's just start doing some some combats and just kind of see what this see what this feels like. Um, and uh, and it kind of held up. Like we're like, oh, these these combats are nice and quick, which is what you want for the, the auto chess format. I mean, the drafting part is kind of already there, you know. So you know, oftentimes we'll have a what helps with having a goal is sometimes we'll have like a movie, like a heist or, you know, like, a, you know, like getaway drivers based on a car chase, mm-hmm. you know? So we've been looking at pop culture and like, okay, how do we, how do we capture that? What is the emotion there? Um, with auto chess, we're like, okay, what mechanically is going on? Um, and how can we make, you know, a quick combat system that, that is determined, not deterministic, but um, automatic. Like mm-hmm. you don't, you don't have any beyond starting the fight. You don't have control over it. Um, which again is a weird thing because it is weird. Sh- yeah. shouldn't be popular. So, you know, I actually wanted to ask you, as someone who is a you know a board game enthusiast, uh, what your general reactions to auto chess are. Um, I'd like to hear you just just riff oh, on the game. Um, yeah, so it's it, it 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 is fascinating that I mean I see it as fantasy football, mm-hmm. where. You know, it's like I'm trying to leverage my knowledge of these units and their strengths and weaknesses. Um, I'm picking some of them and making a bet that they will beat other groups of the same thing. And then, uh-huh. you know, and I think it follows that structure really well. So for in that sense, you know, fantasy football, but but f- to have traditional gamers, like, it's really weird because it's like, as a board gamer, sure, drafting is fun. You know, like, yeah. I got these cards, I can buy them. Set sure, that makes sense as a board gamer. Stuff. But the fact that somebody like a skill gamer coming from League of Legends where I'm hitting my skill shots and my, you know, I'm doing all this kind of high level strategy is fine. Letting go of the reins. It seems super weird to me that they're okay testing kind of the high level of skill. But I mean, I, I, you know, I had been pushing at Amazon. There's, there's a whole period where I was just like, what if there was like Diablo, but you're just Deckard Kane and you send people out, you know, and you're just like the coach. And I think there is, a part of us that once we get over kind of that mastery curve in, in a game where um, we no longer desire, like we'll look at it. Uh, I'll look at a platformer now. I'm like, I could get good at that. I've <laughs> gotten good at those. Sure. I know what it takes. I don't necessarily want to uh, go down that road again. Um, I want something that can test my wisdom and my experience over time. So mm-hmm. that's why people like you don't play softball anymore. You coach softball. And I think, right. I mean, I'm 40 uh, 41. And it's, you know, it's like, I want to shift into a mode where, um, I'm kind of the mentor, but I'm still making high level strategic decisions and leveraging all the time that I've had in all these games. And I think that 
um, the auto chess lets you do a little, I mean, you've played thousands of hours of, of, of league and you have this intimate knowledge of these heroes. And so now you can kind of back off and play league coach, you know, mm-hmm. in a certain way. And it's kind of a relief because it, le- it, it takes off certain pressures, but you still get a kind of like, see if you were right. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, so I don't know. Yeah, no, no, no. That's that sounds uh, that sounds that's a really, um, I think, uh, a really good way of putting it, that the smaller interactions and I think League itself is is a is a step in that direction coming from maybe like an RTS, a traditional RTS like Starcraft, which is, you know, a step in that direction coming from maybe a fighting game, Um, you know, where you have these like super small atomic tactical, you know, uh, like frame, like literally like frame data type uh, interactions all the way up to like these large scale like who do you want on your team kind of questions right yeah i mean it's it's you're kind of just playing the 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 league draft part of the game you're mm-hmm. like i'm picking these guys and then let's let's see see if i'm right you know yeah yeah no that's that's true that's really interesting so um back to your process is so the game that you just described is a, is a sort of a process where you took an existing sort of system and, and model yeah. and then like worked off of that. Is that typical for you or do you also sometimes uh, um, start sort of from scratch more? So uh, it, it depends. I mean, oftentimes I'm, I mean, I'm a mix of riffing and original. Um, it, it really based on, on each project. Like, you know, so another thing that came out of this tooth and tail project is, you know, we kind of got to the end of the project and when I know that it's the end of the project and we're going to like shelve it is when I get to thrash. Thrash is when you're like, you know, you're frustrated that it's not doing what you want it to do, either emotionally or mechanically. And you just start doing wild things to it to try to get it over out of the local maxima. You're kind Wait, of like, hold on. I, what's the name of this term? Thrashed? Like past thrash. tense? No, thrash. It's like when a, a fish is caught and you're just thrashing around. Ah, okay. I've never heard this term before. That's cool. Uh, I heard it somewhere, but it, but it's you're just thrashing. You're just like, yeah. you want to get out of this rut um, creatively, and now you're going to try try some crazy stuff. Because sometimes you're, you're min-maxing within a very small space, yeah. and sometimes thrash will show you that maybe there was a solution right over the hill that you thought was an insurmountable hill. You're like, no, yeah. actually. That's-. And so thrash is good, but it also is kind of desperation. You're kind of like... You don't want it to be happening for a long period of time, right? That's basically the yeah, idea. Yeah, and, and it often just means that you, 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 something was wrong. And so what, and so we kind of got to this thrash point on, on uh, Tooth and Tail where I'm just like, let's throw it, let's, let's try something crazy. Let's try a system where everyone rolls these dice and, and everyone rolls four dice, everyone's using the same dice, and you, and you, you through your economy, get to use more of these dice um, based on like how many farms you have or whatever. Right. Um, and that little piece of a mechanic, um, you know, cause it came from roll and write, but it was kind of this other thing. Um, somehow me and Jeff connected it with, um, uh, a long time game that I've always loved. Um, a me- uh, um, uh, spies versus mercs. So the old classic splinter cell asymmetric two V two, I've always wanted to make that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was working on that game and then Monaco came out and it really took the wind out of my sails. Um, and for years I hadn't, you know, hadn't done anything with it, but this mechanic, and then I was talking to Jeff and he came up with this mechanic for how, you know, we kind of took a thing from, from Captain Sonar and we came up with Sabotage, which is a 2v2, you know, cats versus mice kind of, kind of setup on a very small grid. It's a, it's a four by four grid. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that was kind of how it happened last year. 
um, with the development of that. So it was more like, again, I had a goal of where I wanted to go. I wanted to go to this Spies versus Mercs thing. Um, when I was doing Burgle Bros, it was like, oh, I want to do Ocean's Eleven, the board game. You right. know, that was, you know, and so the best games have happened when I don't start with a mechanic. Um, you know, it's like as I'm, you know, mechanics are a means to an end. And so, you know, what's a way, you know, like people wanted, uh, they wanted a chase game after Burgle Bros. Like, what, what about the escape? You know, and I'm right, like, okay. Yeah. So I had that milling around as a goal when I came up with the mechanics for, and I had just played the game. And so a lot of it is just kind of like peanut butter and chocolate. Like, you know, I'm looking for a new flavor. I know what I want it to taste like. But I mean, a lot of, a lot of creativity when you get to a certain point is, is combinatorial. You know, you're taking different mechanics from different sources and remixing them. Um, and then that you'll get the pieces, but then you have to make new duct tape to fit them together. And that's where the innovation comes in when you're like, I've created a new system to hold these other pieces together. Um, and it looks like this. Um, and, and I over-index on innovation just in general. Like right. I, I value it too much. Um, I think it definitely helps my business model. Um, but I, I've learned to back off it a little bit and, and, and be, you know, uh, because, because oftentimes when you have like, okay, this has a new scoring system, it has a new way you use cards, it has a new way you use dice. And when I hit people with a fully, you know, totally new game and they don't have any framework of another, of how another game works, that's a tough sell. It's, oh, it's yeah. tough for people to get that. It's true. Um, so now I try to ride the line where it's like, okay, you know, deck building, let's do paperback, you know, let's, let's, you know, let's, let's, you know, maybe it's like, I try to make half the game, you know, new, right. um, you know, and, and, and new is just kind of maybe new for that group. Because again, I feel like I'm taking from different sources. It's very much the chef analogy is very apt when it's just like, you know, these flavors, like, have you had like strawberry and basil? It actually is really good together, you know, mm -hmm. and salted caramel, you know, like, that that process, um, you know, it, it's the familiar but remixed. Even how when we hear a remix of a song, it's like, oh, I know this is an '80s song, but it's got this new beat over it. And and I think, you know, mixing that, like, what what exactly the ratios of how much is new and how much is, um, or and then again, new to that that spot, you know, that audience. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah, okay, yeah. audience, you know, I'm going to bring Scrabble in. You know, what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like uh, if you're if you're trying to relay a story to someone, if you're like doing storytelling or if you're j just telling a story to someone, you you always want to kind of like relate to the familiar in order to because the familiar is how we build uh, is how we understand things and we, how we have meaning. Right. Like words yeah. are familiar to us. We have associations with words based on our our experiences and games work the same way where, you know, like I know what it sort of means aesthetically, but also mechanically to like play a creature to the table in magic the gathering and so um yeah. you know what i mean like that presents like oh now there's this threat now there's this like thing that i have to get through um you know now this there's these various um associations in terms of like i don't know like color or whatever um yeah. and uh there's all this like kit of meaning and um so yeah to to i mean it certainly is a mistake to be like oh i don't want any existing <laughs> you know uh like like yeah, throw it all out right yeah. exactly like avoid any game 
game design tropes is a total mistake. Um, yeah. But it, but at the same time, it's like it is there is a really interesting uh, choice to be made a lot of the time in terms of like, you know, sometimes I'll see a board game, I'll play a game and I'll and I'll I'll kind of have that feeling of like, oh, man, like this is really like I see something in this that's not in this, but like it kind of is in this. And I think I could bring it out. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tend to well, have, I, I did have problems with that. Like a lot of times when I try to remix an existing game, uh, that that uh, that specific approach for me, I, I end up like running into a lot of brick walls because I'm like, oh, I see now why they had it the way that they had it in the first place. Um, yeah, that's a classic like MOBA thing. Like everyone's tried to redo Dota, um, and they're like, oh, I'll just do Dota, but take this out, or I'll add this. Right. And, yeah. and it turns out that that evolved in a very particular vat, mm -hmm. um, and. And when you change those variables, you know, it, 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 it sometimes will just fall apart. Right. Um, um, but another thing is looking at the emotional spikes that come out, like what, what is the moment in magic that you feel is it's like when I push in all my creatures because I built a board or putting stuff on the board or what are these moments? And so I was able to like analyze what happens in paperback. So paperback is a deck building word game. It's very much Dominion meets Scrabble. But the magic moment in Dominion is when all of your previous choices about what to buy come back in your hand and they all synergize in the right way. Mm -hmm. That's when you feel super cool. You have a, an awesome turn. The magic point in Scrabble is when you pick the, the perfect word that uses your whole tray um, and scores a whole bunch of points. And the, the, the multiplying factor is that in, in, in paperback, they happen at the same time. Hmm. So you can feel super smart about your word and your deck and your previous choices about what letters to buy all paid off in this in this one moment. And so that's where it, it, it had a, a summing effect between those two. But but I was able to parse that out and be like, you know, where do you feel, uh, you know, and, and, and when I'm talking to other designers, it's like, you know, if everything's running perfect in your game, what is that moment that like, you know, like in 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 a, a social deduction game, it's like when you were the the Hitler or you were the mafia and mm -hmm. you tricked everybody, right. you, you took them all for a ride. Sure. Um, and, and that is the fantasy that you're kind of waiting for. And, and that moment, you know, and so I think with other games, trying to suss out what does this look like, you know, at that moment, you know, and, and then, and then trying to reverse engineer the steps to get to that emotional point. Right. Yeah, no, that's a really that's a cool way of thinking about it. And it's really not uh, how I've I've thought about it a lot of the times in the past. Um, it's it's yeah, it's interesting how there's it's like, I guess it's more of like an experiential uh, kind of angle to look at um, things from which kind of makes sense, mm. because that's how players play games is, you know, they they have experiences with games. And that's really what drives them to play games is those. Yeah. And I mean, I have been pushing for I mean, I'm not great at it. I mean, like, you know, but but I do try to, you know, what I've learned from indie video games is that there's a whole other range of emotions, mm -hmm. and and I've been trying to, um, trying to paint with some other colors basically, mm. and sometimes I lean on the same ones, and sometimes I can, you know, I mean, I like I've done a lot of cooperative games, and cooperative games have a whole range of emotions about vulnerability and teamwork and sacrifice for each other. Um, that that you can't get in an adversarial or asymmetrical scenarios where you know in 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 fugitive you know you're running and I'm chasing and it's not about 
you know, isn't doesn't feel about about domination in the same way that like chess does. You know, it's like we're competing, but we're doing things that are so different that I can hedge. I don't feel as attacked. Yeah, it's like you know, and and I can switch roles. It's like, oh well, you were. It's you know, it's an apples and oranges thing. We were doing different things, so now I don't feel bad or dumb for losing. Let's just try something else. You know, is that something that you find yourself thinking about more recently? Uh, because I, I recently have been thinking a lot about, and I just did a show with uh, Dan Cook about uh, you know uh, multiplayer games and uh, competitive games and uh, and cooperative games and how different games create these different kind of like feelings and feelings of hostility and toxicity. We talked about League of Legends and how you know League is yeah. this like really high trust activity that you do with your teammates. Oh yeah, the Raf Coster stuff with the whole trust spectrum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um but I mean, you know, like I'm I'm thinking a lot more over the last few years about like how you know, I, I, in in 10 years ago, I was only thinking about how do I make a game that is like maximally fun for me to play? And now I find myself a little bit more thinking like, well, how do I make a game that's fun for me to play, but also maybe isn't like making the world a worse place to live in? Like, or, or isn't, you know, kind of like making people feel like these hostile sort of toxic kind of feelings that you often feel with like one-on-one. Like honestly, in chess or Go, if I'm playing a game with, it's really hard for me to complain completely avoid having those like I'm dominating you or you're dominating me kind of feelings of like restricting each other's ability to move and to act and to, you know what I mean? Like, uh, so I don't know. Do you find yourself thinking about that stuff more? Yeah. 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 And, and again, this is that, like, what is the magic moment in those games? It's when it's like, you didn't see it. I set the trap and you're stuck. You know, either in chess or in Go. And I outwitted you. Like I am, you know, and so that is the emotional moment. And and that that is pretty close, you know, to those domination feelings. Yeah. Um, so so I mean, again, that's that when you're looking at the game as its emotional payoffs, um, it's 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 easy. I, I think it helps steer towards um to new spaces. It's like is there something else we can we can do here? And I mean, there's been some examples too, just thematically with like the grizzled and um, the oh, what's the guy? There's one where, the, where there's a guy in a hospital, and you're kind of like taking him through hospice, and he's telling his life story. Like, there's some that have tried to go more like topical, but mm-hmm. sometimes it doesn't even take the theme to to, to get into new emotional spaces. Right. Um, systems systems can create emotions um in in and of themselves um it's just you know the 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 compounding choices or like what are you know how do those sum together into a feeling um you know you know or even even like like tetris is the feeling of regret you know it's like oh i shouldn't have put that piece there you know yeah you know but when you you know when you can avoid the regret you know like i don't know i mean it just it's it's interesting and in this again this is all loosey-goosey stuff but i think it's something that that is superhuman about all this and i think it's something that that we can attune to and it's it's a, it's a fun analytical tool with i think without being super academic about it it's not super deconstructionist it's just like you know feels yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I find myself uh, thinking more and more about that um, more recently and, and sort of being, um, I guess, um, and I, I, from how you're talking about your process and stuff, it seems to me that you, like pretty much every successful and, you know, uh, board game designer and video game, uh, I, I can't speak to video game as much, but certainly the most of the most prolific and successful board games designers I know are like, they're not super strongly philosophical about uh, their, uh, you know, in terms of like having a sort of dogmatic ideology about like what makes a good game. And, and they're a little bit more um, there's there's some term for this, but they're a little bit more yeah. like um, practical and um, just sort of pragmatic, I guess. Um, well, uh, and yeah, I mean, I've really enjoyed your podcast. I mean, and also just the whole NYU community, Frank Lance, Zimmerman, like I love their stuff and I love to digest it. But I don't know that I can think critically in those terms. Like your podcast with Frank Lance is fantastic. It's 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 deep and it's really great. But I I'm not really good at structuring my 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 terms and and my arguments in these in that same way. I enjoy it, but I I'm not I'm not there. And the, you know, but as to process a little bit, there's there's a, an old story that's been going around that Rainier Kinesia. Um, for years would not play anybody else's games um, because, you know, and, and I can get it because often what will happen is this happened with like indie games. Somebody would describe an indie game to me where it's like, oh, it's like this plus this. And my brain, in, you know, in absence of actual knowledge would make a connection, a desperate connection between how that would work. And then I would actually see the game and I'm like, oh, no, that's not what I was thinking. But I'm like, oh, cool! I have a new game idea. <laughs> um, you know, because in in kind of so what he's what he was trying to do by starving himself is that you your brain oftentimes will go to the the ans all the answers you've seen in other games. You you know too too quickly, I guess. Sure. That it will just be like, oh, this this game does this that way. Let's do this that way. Solved. Right. Um, and you and, and it's easy because you don't got to think about it. Um, but sometimes when you don't see an obvious solution, your brain will m figure out life will find a way like it'll it'll connect yeah. in a different way. But he starved himself so fully that he got really incestuous in his designs. Like mm. you can see Kinesia scoring and and all these games that were just kind of like Taco Bell. It's like the same five flavors in a different order. Mm -hmm. um, um, and then recently it's like, OK, you could tell when he actually played a deck building game because he came out with El Dorado. It was like, oh, okay. I'm glad that you're playing other stuff now right. because he totally missed out on deck building. Like he was in, you know, in stealth mode, not listening to anybody as the deck building renaissance was happening. Yeah, like um, I, I remember through those years, it was like 2010, you know, and that yeah. the following years. And uh, in fact, that's when I uh, really became into his stuff. I also saw him at practice uh, 2011, I think, or some yeah, 2011, I think it was the first one. And, yeah. uh, and I remember being struck by how, you know, I expected him like Reiner Knizia, he has like 400 games he designed at that point. Now it's probably like 600 or something. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I remember being like, Oh, my God, he's gonna be like this sage, you know, wisdom dealer guy. And he just had the most practical, like down to earth, like, um, you know, talk that I uh, that ever and I spoke to him one on one. And he, uh, he actually wrote uh, forward for my book, uh, which was really awesome. nice. Yeah, uh, but he is very, and it's something that has like resonated with me over the years that he is very 
very i mean i guess you're saying that he had this idea about like you know isolating himself with that which i guess is kind of like that's sort of a powerful idea um it's, and, it's good about it. i'm saying it's like yeah it, yeah it's a double-edged sword like right understanding that you don't have to do stuff like it's been done forces you to be clever and 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 to do new things um at the same time starving yourself of you know can can mean that you're galapagos and you're going to evolve in really weird ways yeah um and 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 sometimes you'll come out of it having sometimes i'll see people come out oh, oh i've developed this game for 10 years and i've just now come into the board game community and you're like well the thing that you came up with you kind of kind of came out five years ago <laughs> or or it's kind of like been solved in a better way with this other thing so there's not a right answer i'm just saying yeah, that like yeah. people have different approaches to this and there's downsides to both but but using that mental tool of understanding that that you can find new things you don't have to just plus one design stuff um at the same time um don't you know play the new things um well, yeah also interestingly we actually use this technique i would say as designers i mean tell me if you disagree but for me certainly i use the, this technique all the time like sometimes i need to sit with other designers and talk to stuff or like play testers and and talk things through and play test and like iterate and all that kind of stuff sometimes i just need to go into a dark room by myself for like six hours and just think <laughs> about this and work on this on like a document and that's kind of the same thing on a micro level wouldn't you say yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, um, I, I do in board games. I do less because 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 it's right there. You can just try it, and and, and so I mean, in a video game, I, you do lots. Of, I've, you know, I've kind of been on both sides, and like you do a lot more documentation. You have to simulate more things in your head because you know resources are going to be deployed to make that happen, and they're expensive and or require lots of. You know, calling lots of favors. Um, you know, whereas his board games, it's like there's a limit where we'll we'll talk about it. We'll do some kind of like simulations, um, and we'll talk about different edge cases. But then we'll just do it, right? Like, you know, and and I mean, and a lot of these two is in you know, if I categorize all my games on, I really kind of have two buckets. I have the ones that come together, and I call them two week games. Like they're eighty or ninety percent within two weeks. Um, because I just dive in, it's like the honeymoon phase, everything's working. I go around a couple dead ends, you know, mm -hmm. um, but I'm in the, I'm in the right space. I'm like, okay, this is a new thing. It's working, you know, and then over the next three months, I'll, I'll shave the corners off of it and I'll have a couple of key changes that will simplify things sometimes even after the Kickstarter. Um, and, and other times I'll have a game that I'm like, I want this to work because this is the vision for it. And this is the emotional goal, or this is the movie it needs to be about. Um, and, but I'd say that, that only a quarter of my games I've wrestled with for an extensive amount of time. Now, sometimes I'll pick parts from an old game or whatever, but three quarters of my games, um, came together in relatively quick fashion. Um, now I had done lots of other prep and I'd work on other stuff, but you know, and I saw a poll going around with indie developers as well, where it's like, how many times, you know, was your really hit game the one that just fell in your lap versus the one that you wrestled and wrestled and wrestled with? And it sounded like the majority were like, so that's why I want to say being open to hitting your head on a, you know, a, a branch, you know, like, or, or your Newton moment. Um, you kind of being open to that and being flexible 
um, because oftentimes that's where it is. So wait, um, wait. The, you never told us what were the results of that poll. Was it mostly people who had been? Um, uh, I think uh, Colin Northway ran it. It was like a Twitter, but it, it sounded like anecdotally a lot of people's biggest ideas were just the two week ones. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, that that sounds anecdotally right to me. Also, like what I've heard from other developers as well. So, so you know, if you're kind of in this pursuit, I mean, doing the whole Jonathan Colton thing a week. You know, he ended up with four albums out of that because he was just rigorously, I'm going to make a new thing every week. And and I don't know that, that that's probably too aggressive. You kind of need to, you know, give it some time. But I think like a two-week cycle on any given idea and, and being okay printing out a bunch of cards and trying it again the next day just to pivot quickly, try some things out because like, like paperback was that way. And like I went down this thing where I was trying to solve this one design problem about how do I do double word score? And I made this whole mana system, which is really close to how was it spell spell slayers, spell slingers, something like that came out. It has a colored mana system and it's a word game. But but my friend is like, well, why didn't why doesn't this trash after use? And I'm like, that's perfect. And I went back to the simple version of it, and that was the answer. And then the rest of it was was pretty smooth. So you know, there is kind of it's almost like thrash when or an early thrash where you just yeah. like do some some large pivots. Don't be afraid of don't don't be afraid of the, the work. Get a nice cutter, um, get sleeved cards with some magic game, magic cards in the back, and just swap them out and try again. So we have actually, a white yeah, I was going to ask you, get, what is your physical process? If you were going to put, like, let's say you're going to start a two week game like today, what would yeah. you what would you actually do? Like, what program would you use, and like, how do you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, some people use InDesign. That's better for final production, and but it's kind of what you know. Some people do Photoshop, but Illustrator for me. Okay, so I get on. I go to flaticons.net or flight icons or whatever. Noun project is fine too. I, any art is just bathroom people. Like, because you can find, you can usually find an icon that will, uh, will, you know, be enough of a representation that for most play testers, uh, you know, one color, it's black and white. Um, and actually to test Burgle too, I went back to my original black and white flat icons mm-hmm. um, to test that because I, I, because it's good at, just looking at the meat, but it's representative enough. So yeah. I go into Illustrator. Uh, I just make two and a half by three and a half. So I like, you know, and I just go 2,500 or 250 pixels by 350 pixels. You've got a, you know, a thing, uh, you've got to make nine of those. Um, and you know, and just throw the cards together. Um, you print them out, you print them on, you don't print them on cardstock. You just print them on regular no, paper, print them on regular paper. And then, you know, take my last prototype, pull all of the paper out of them. Cause they've already got sleeves and they've got, you know, a thicker. So yeah, something magic cards, take your, you know, you've got your deck, pull all those out. Or if you want to make a new set, cause if you want to be precious by old prototypes, um, cut those up, you know, get a big cutter, chop, 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 yeah. throw them in the sleeves, go, you know, do you ever um, do, uh, play- the board. say again? Sometimes there's a board, but and card card games are card, cards per, are per, pretty universal. Do you ever uh, use Tabletop Simulator? Uh, no, that's mostly like Tabletopia and Tabletop Simulator are are really only worth the work if you're if you need to do something remote with somebody. So okay. usually, you know, later on, like maybe a month in, and I'm like, hey, I, w- I want to play this with some of my friends that I use as a sanity check. You know, right, um, right. So, uh, yeah, so, so, it, uh, I mean, but, but it, it, early in the process, it's, it's, you know, or index cards, like just, yeah. just do it. Like you yeah, don't, yeah. You, you, you don't overthink it, um, <laughs> when it comes to board games, because sometimes, you know, you, you have the ability to, to test the emergent factors immediately, you know, 
Um, and sometimes it's interesting too, because we're doing this like auto chess thing. And I'm like, it was kind of like auto chess. It's like, this shouldn't be fun, but I'm having fun. And right. I was able to, to answer that within a couple of days. Um, so we're getting close to about the hour mark and my, uh, air conditioning situation is, uh, I got to turn off my AC during the recording. So, uh, it's getting a little hot up here, but I, there's yeah. a couple more things I did want to ask you sure. while I have you. And those are a couple more practical questions. One is, um, sure. uh, what do you think of slash? Do you have any recommendations about board game publishers? And also similarly, like those um, companies that like do printing for Kickstarter runs. Um, do you have any thoughts about those experiences Wait, with those uh, for Kickstarter runs? I mean, like printers, like, I, I guess printers? so. Yeah. Not printers as in printer in your house, but like a printing company. I yeah. Suppose. But yeah. I mean, like, uh, like manufacturers, like yeah. where, where you, where you get it made. Okay. Um, uh, so manufacturers, I mean, I use China. Um, there's, there's most of the stateside production is, you know, just kind of, I mean, you can do some POD stuff, but it's, it's an uphill battle with stateside. Now the tariffs just got rescinded. So we're, you know, everything's good. I have some, some printers in China that I recommend for new designers mm -hmm. where they, they'll, they'll catch stuff that you don't and they handhold a little bit more, but they charge a little bit more now. So you have like Panda and you got ad magic and they're about, you're going to pay about 25% more. Um, these guys are going to pay ten or fifteen percent more, um, and and they'll they'll source it well. They'll do high quality and all that. Okay. Um, and then once you know what you're asking for, I really just have one that I I really like. Um, uh, Bien is Major M M E I J I A. He's around. He does. He's done kind of stuff for all the different companies. Mm -hmm. um, but I trust him at this point, and we have a good relationship. Um, I actually visited him over in China. He's nice. got his whole operation is, is board is board games. He knows what he's doing. He has like magic paper, the same paper that print magic on, mm -hmm. um, you know, he's got good stuff. So, you know, but, but he, you know, if you do not specify exactly what you want, uh, he'll, you know, they'll cut corners or whatever. So sure. you, you know, so, you know, so I have recommendations there. Okay. Um, what was the first question? Uh, the other one was about publishers. Oh, um, I don't know. I mean, I, there's a lot of good guys in the industry. You don't um, work. Do you, do you work with publishers or no? No, never. Okay. <laughs> I mean, never. <laughs> no, well, yeah, never. Um, yeah. okay, maybe. Um, no. So I, well, part of my whole story was that, that, uh, Walkstar got stuck in publisher hell with Z-Man for mm. like two years, you know, and then they got bought out by Philosophia, which eventually got bought by Asmodee. And, and they came back to me and they're like, no, 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 we want to do it. We want to do it. And they're like, but we just want to change all the art to like anime style. We think that'll go better in Europe. Mm. And I'm like, no, like you guys, I mean, I had all my art done, you know, cause yeah. and that, and as a designer, you don't usually have that, but I had a very distinct look yeah. and, and, and I knew exactly what I wanted and it was obvious we weren't on the same page. So I backed away and they're like, and they were just shocked that I was backing away from a deal. I'm like, well, you're not going to jerk people around for two years in the future then. Yeah. So, I turned around, walked right into Game Salute, which was a train wreck. Um, and so after that, like I got baggage. Like I'm, uh -huh. no one's gonna love your game like you love your game. Right. And and the manufacturing and printing stuff is not that scary. You've got a magic bullet. You've got Kickstarter. Even right. failing on Kickstarter is a minimal investment. I mean, back in the day, you had to go get a bank loan and then end up with a garage full of shame of board games. Like yeah. Now it, you know, Kickstarter tells you what the zeitgeist is inter interested in right now, gives you the capital to make it, just go make it. I mean, you can go, whether to do distribution or not is another question, but whether to do self-publishing, 
to me is relatively obvious because it's just not that hard. I mean, um, you know, yes, it can be hard to get an audience and whatnot. And your first couple of Kickstarters are going to go, you know, going to be small. But if, but if you can, you know, distinguish yourself, you know, again, I try to ha- make unique art and unique gameplay and unique themes. Like I haven't done sci-fi or fantasy. You know, I just do contemporary. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like I think, yes, you know. But what I learned from indie video games was. You know what? What World of Goo and Braid taught me is even as an indie, you're competing against like Days of Wonder. You're competing against the top guys, so don't phone it in. You can you can execute on that level, um, but and and you won't be on your first one. But you need to challenge yourself too because you can um, compete with them. Um, and so you know, I I feel like I you know I I was I, and so I I didn't because you get a lot of board games. There's like you can just tell the art is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't have to be the best at art, but you can. You need to know enough to art direct. You need to be picky enough about fonts. You need to, you know, learn a little bit. But I don't know. I mean, the real deal is like if you go with a publisher, it's not. It, there's no way that it becomes a sustainable income unless you're mm-hmm. Eric Lang or Kevin Wilson. Um, you, you know, there's maybe five guys in the country that can live off being designers gotcha. um, because the volume is so high and their names are so big. Um, but there's a lot of people, you know, I, you know, distribution, the whole, the whole business thing is a whole nother conversation of, of what I think making a sustainable business model is given the factors. Um, and mostly that involves direct sales, but, but definitely like self-publishing, it just isn't that scary. Uh, and maybe I'm overselling it because maybe some of the pieces are hard, but I mean, if you love it, you know, you'll figure it out. Like, you know, you'll learn what you need to learn about art, you know, and how long do you spend building a Kickstarter campaign typically? Um, a few days. I mean, I mean, I, I get pieces of art from my artist. I chop them up. We set up some stretch goals, you know, and and then we run, we run some Facebook ads, um, kind of just targeted ones to our, our customers and stuff Mm -hmm. to say, Hey, we got a thing coming up. Um, you know, in, in a couple of weeks. So sure. we kind of have a good day one and, and, you know, we make sure we get our reviewers. Um, and that's kind of it. I don't, I mean, you know, it, it is kind of a chicken and egg. I know it's, it's hard for a new, a new publisher to kind of get the, the critical mass going. Um, and, and there's a lot of shady people that want to prey on that, but I think it's mostly like, it's a trust issue. They don't know you from Adam. So they, they want to, you have to put a, you've got to have one game under your belt and it's got to be a good one. Um, and then you're like, not only did I make an innovative game, I delivered it. Everyone got their games. Everyone's happy. Second time around, it's usually a big multiplicative factor hmm. where you come back and you're like, now they're like, Oh, that guy, he did that game. We can trust him. Um, and, and, you know, so it, 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 it builds on itself, but it, it you do have to do, even when you're doing that, you only made 20, 30 K on a, on a board game. Um, you know, you've got to just execute really well on that. Um, and really over deliver, um, when it comes to just all the little details, like all the little things in the instruction manual and the box. And you just need to, you know, like I do crazy stuff with my boxes, but it's every little detail. And I'm not even like an OCD person, but I absolutely put my best foot forward when I'm doing this. Like I made this, this sabotage that's just coming out. I'm really proud of how it came out, but it has, and it has a whole bunch of stuff that weren't even stretch goals just because I knew it had to be the best. I'm not going to phone it in. 
Yeah. Um, I do think people pick up on that kind of stuff when it's, you can tell that this is like a labor of love and this is not just like someone phoning it in or doing like, you know, kind of some, something in between even. Uh, yeah, I really, I agree that that, that's really important and that comes through and I think that comes through in your games too. So I'm trying to go for the, the kind of artisanal angle where it's just like, you know, this is handcrafted and it's going to look, it's going to look distinct and it's got little quirks but it's mine. And for a long time, I didn't even want to have a company name. I just wanted my name on the box and the artist name on the box. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I, didn't have, I didn't even have UP, UPC codes on it. Like it was just, you know, I wanted it to be that and, yeah. and, and the homegrown thing. And, and I want to just, I want to meet people, you know, and it, so I don't know, it's worked out, but, uh, but that's, I, know, again, my advice is for, it matches my business model. It matches what I value. So this is not prescriptive. I, you know, for a while I would just tell everybody it's a meritocracy. Everyone just sell direct, and you know, everyone just go to Kickstarter and whatnot. And it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. For a larger, for there's games that you you need a larger company to make. So don't take all of my advice as prescriptive. But I'm passionate about where I've ended up with and and how I have gotten there. Well, that's great. That seems like a really good uh, note to end on. Thank you so much, uh, Tim, for coming on the show. And I look forward to seeing you at, uh, uh, what was it again? Uh, PAX uh, Unplugged? You're not going to Gen Con. Going to Unplugged. That's right. Okay. Yeah, no. And uh, yeah, as you get further along on your stuff, like I actually, I try to mentor people, not in the sense of like, tell you what to do. It's mostly just like, you want to bounce some stuff off me? hop on a Skype call. I do that with a lot of people just to kind of like, because that's kind of what I wanted when I was getting going. Like I'd go to DDC and like no one would give me the time of day. So new designers, I I taught, you know, I'll give you 45 minutes hour on Skype. Let's talk through what you're doing. Talk about your business model. I'm I'm happy to to pay it forward in that, in that sense. Um, And if you want to, because a lot of times you're in a vacuum and you're like, am I crazy? Is this a good direction? Do you think? So yeah, yeah, yeah. I I'm gonna have something pretty soon um, to show you actually, and I'd love to get your feedback on it. Absolutely. All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much again for coming on, and uh, yeah, there'll be links and stuff to all your work in the show notes. And uh, do you have a Kickstarter or anything you want to plug right now? Uh, Burgle Two Electric Burgaloo is uh, probably mid 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 August on okay. Kickstarter. We'll see how we'll see how it goes. But that's all the right. next thing. Awesome. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that. Thank you so much, Tim. All right, we'll see you. See ya. All right, so that was my conversation with Tim Fowers. Thanks again to Tim for doing this. Um, uh, As always, you can support this show if you enjoy what I do. Uh, I've been kind of thinking more about my stuff in terms of my game design work. Um, I do want it to be a business at some point, but I also kind of think of it as like kind of a research project. So Patreon kind of works for me pretty well in that regard in that I can fail. Um, You know, games like Omnocronom which, I mean, to me, I think was a game design failure, um, perhaps a game dev failure, maybe even more so. But, uh, you know, that that it gives me that flexibility to use theory and apply theory and not necessarily have to um, sell a product at the end of that. Um, so, yeah, uh, you can think of it as supporting game design research, n- not just in terms of uh, implementing ideas and theory, but also in terms of the kinds of conversations that we have on this podcast, you know, getting people. I think that these kind of conversations really matter like i i think back so many times to conversations that i had that were a lot like this at conventions uh like practice and gdc and those kind of things and not everyone can afford to go to those kind of things so i think it's important that we provide these 
um, resources for people. So I hope you found this helpful and useful. And if you do like this kind of thing, I would really appreciate it if you could go to patreon.com slash Keith and send me like a dollar or something a month. That'd be great. Or whatever you can do. Uh, there are different benefits of different tiers, but mostly it's just about supporting uh, this kind of thing. And if you are one of these people who enjoys this kind of thing, um, there's not a lot of us out there. So um, I would really appreciate it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.